Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning, North Bible family. How are you this morning? It's good. It's good to see you. If you're a guest today, so glad you're here. We hope this morning blesses you and encourages you. If you're online, uh, listening or watching, glad that you're with us today. So, uh, when we started packing up to move here, we've been here about six months now. We, st- we were packing up, you know, seven months ago, eight months ago for, for the move. Uh, whenever you pack, you notice how you find things that you forgot about, right? Thank you, Aaron. Uh, you tend to find things that um, you're like, why do we still have that? Uh, you also find things that are special. And I found a box, one of the boxes of my keepsakes, like personal keepsakes. And so next thing I know, Rika and I are sitting there on the basement floor, and we're like, we're going through this box of just stuff from when we were kids and looking at things. And uh, in that box, we're, I, I found one box that had trophies and certificates and ribbons and awards from like when I was a kid and growing up and, you know, medals and all this kind of stuff. Because I had a lot, I had a lot of medals. Trophies. The box was big. We almost had to get a pod just, just, just for all my stuff. No, not really. But um, I thought about bringing a couple of those, you know, trophies to show off to you guys. And then I realized I've got something better. I've got the very first trophy I ever won since we moved here in Arizona. I went golfing with uh, a bunch of pastors uh, a few months ago, and our um, Group won the little golf tournament that we were playing there. It was great. So um, I've got my first Arizona trophy. Uh, I'm going to put a picture up on you just so you know. I don't know why they chose the shape of a toilet, but so it is. But this is my first trophy that I won here in Arizona. Isn't that amazing? So, um, yeah, I'm going to probably display that somewhere. (laughs) But one of the lessons I've learned in life is that Uh, All the trophies, all the ribbons, all those medals, all those certificates and awards, they eventually fade in meaning and value, right? Like, Like eventually they either get thrown away or put in a box somewhere and you don't even see them for years. As I look back over the time, I remember like it was meaningful and special to win those as it should be. It's an accomplishment to, to, you know, carry out certain, you know, physical activities or intellectual activities. Like at the time they were meaning and wonderful, but over time the meaning fades. And as I started growing up, you realize like my worth and my value isn't tied to these trinkets that eventually I'll, I'll put in a box or I'll throw away. And as I came to faith in Christ, even more so realizing, like, my worth and my value and my identity aren't wrapped up in what I win or what I earn or what I achieve. It's all wrapped up in how God sees me and what God thinks about me and that I'm his beloved son and that, that he came to, to redeem me from my own sinfulness and wickedness. And when I see the cross, I see God's love, and I see his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness just extended. And so uh, moving from, you know, trusting these trinkets that we win for meaning and value and worth and identity to what God truly has hardwired inside of us to look for when it comes to worth and value and purpose and identity. How about you? Are you still in that place where you're looking for that promotion or that accomplishment or that opinion of that person 
to, to give you the validation for worth and meaning and purpose and identity? Or have you grown beyond that now? Are you still stuck in that place? Are you fighting that fight? Or have you moved to a place where you can appreciate those accomplishments in life? Because they're, they're, they're very encouraging and we should appreciate them, but we shouldn't let them become part of who we are and where we find our purpose and our worth and our identity and our value. Have you come to that place where you recognize that your identity, your worth, your value, your purpose are tied to how God feels about you and how God sees you rather than even what you think about yourself or what others think about you? Have you come to that place where you recognize God's mercy and his forgiveness and his grace are extended to you, not just for a moment of conversion, but for a lifetime of walking with God? We're wrapping up uh, a teaching series today. We've been uh, in this book of Galatians for the fall, and we're wrapping it up today and closing the book out. And we've talked a lot about God's grace. This is a a book that's been heavy on the gospel of Jesus Christ and understanding uh, the weight, the richness, the purity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, compared to that false religious thinking of law and works and, and human pursuit to try to get to God. And, and that word grace has been a big word that we've used a lot for the last few months. And we're going to look at it one more time today where we come to this place of seeing God's grace in our life. And when we think about God's grace and we think about us trying to live for accomplishments, here's the deal. Do you know that the greatest gift you could ever receive is not a tiny trophy that you can sit on a shelf, but it's a never-ending, intimate and powerful relationship with God that in his grace, he offers you. So when we think about grace, grace is about God. It's his triumph in our life, not our trophies. And that's gonna make more sense, I think, as we spend some time together today. So we're gonna pray for our time and then get into his word. And uh, let's, let's just join the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time that you have planned for us to come together. We thank you for those who are with us electronically because they can't be here physically right now. Thank you for our guests today. May they, you, you brought them here on purpose. May you uh, show them what specific reason you wanted them here for today. And God, thank you for this family, the spiritual family, North Bible Church. God, grow us closer to you and to each other today because of the time we get to spend in your word. Uh, We continue to pray for the unrest around the world. We pray for peace in Israel. We pray for peace in all the other places. I love Rick's prayer that that there's going to be a time when we're no no longer need armies and weapons. God, there's going to be a time when our Prince of Peace comes, and we, we look forward to being faithful to you until that day comes. But guide us and guard us now in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as we wrap up the book of Galatians today, we're going to be in the last chapter, the last verses of the last chapter of the book of Galatians. So open up up your Bible to Galatians 6. Sometimes I'll say, turn in your Bible or turn on your Bible. And so just a reminder that if you don't physically have a Bible at all, we'd love to give you one as a gift. We have uh, some blue Bibles out at the guest uh, reception area. Those are free for the taking if you don't have one. Some of you are like, I don't know what Bible app to download on my phone. I, I still think holding a Bible is best. There's something tangible about opening and the sound of those pages is so unique, right? 
But it's so good to have an electronic version too that the, the Bible's always with you and it's convenient. And so if you don't know what Bible app to download, here's just a recommend uh, for several Bible apps. There's a slide that will pop up here that's got multiple apps that we would say, hey, these are good options to consider uh, for Bible apps. So you'll see that pop up here in a minute. And as you're turning in your Bible, we're going to wrap up chapter 6 in Galatians. And what we're going to see is a signature, we're going to see a summary, and we're going to see a sign-off. That's what we're going to see today as we're wrapping up Galatians 6. The first we see is a signature. Look at Galatians 6, verse 11. It says here, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, for those of you who might be guests or you're just not super familiar with the Bible, you're thinking, well, who's talking? Again, this is a man named the Apostle Paul. It's a servant of God who he has used to encourage and correct uh, this group of first century Christians living in the ancient region of Galatia, modern day Turkey. And uh, what we see here is a common practice in ancient times was a lot of times, because they didn't have talk to text, and they didn't have all the technology that we have and keyboards, but a lot of times an author would dictate to a scribe. It makes it a lot easier. A scribe was, was more skilled in writing quickly and writing nicely for legibility. And so someone like Paul could just speak as the Lord was moving him, and that scribe would, would, would pin uh, what's being written. But what we see here is that as he ends the book of Galatians, he takes the pen. He takes the pen from the scribe and writes personally his distinct font, which is obviously bigger, and his distinct style to wrap up the letter. Why would he do that? He's doing that, and this is what's important for the Galatians, because he wanted to authenticate that this was truly him that this writing was coming from, because he wasn't with them, and he wanted to emphasize the message of the letter. He personally, he's putting the personal touch on it, because he wants to authenticate it. This is me, Paul. Let there be no you know, denial of that, and I want to personally emphasize what I've been telling you. And so I'm not delegating that out. This is important to me. This is important for you to get. And so he takes up the pen himself. And he wants them to have this uh, lasting message of grace lingering in their heads, their hearts, their ears, their eyes. And so he's personally pinning that. Now, how is that important to us today? It's just a reminder, I think, that when we look at God's word, it helps remind us that his word is authentic and important for us as well. Uh, we're reminded that we can trust what God wrote through the human authors. You know, that, that, that criticism of like, well, the Bible's just made by a bunch of men, you know, just wrote. Yes, God did use mankind to scribe his word. And no, he didn't put them in some sort of like auto trance. He didn't possess their body this is what's so beautiful about God, that when you look at all of his word, he took these human authors with their unique personalities, their unique styles, their unique context, and he crafted this amazing book. And, and to, to some people, they look at the Bible and they think, oh, it's just one book with many stories, and that's actually the opposite. The Bible's one story made up of many books. That's why it's so supernatural. That's why it's so beyond us. That's why it's still here despite all the criticisms and attempts to destroy it for centuries. And so it's a reminder that when God uses human authors to write his word, uh, it's still the Lord moving. 
we see these passages. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We can trust all of God's Word. The writers knew that it was the Lord that was carrying them as they penned these letters. Uh, Peter said in 2 Peter, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So just as the Galatians could look and hear, because the, the, sometimes they had to hear it in an audience rather than each person having their own copy, that this was actually Paul, it was authentic, and it was emphasizing a message. We too can read the Bible trusting this is from the Lord, it's authentic, and we can trust his message through his writer. So we see the signature start this ending of the book. Next we see a summary. And we're going to hang out here for quite a while because there's a lot of content. Um, for six chapters of writing, Paul had been hammering on this contrast between law and grace between flesh and spirit, between human effort to be made right with God versus God's gracious offering of his son to be made right with him. With him. So Paul's kind of putting a bow on all of that content with this summary that he's personally writing. Look at Galatians 6.12. He says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It was important for the Galatians to hear again this message. Because there had been an invading group called the Judaizers that came in and stirred up a bunch of false teaching saying, you all have to be Jewish to truly be saved. So you've got to live by the law. All you males have to be circumcised if you truly are going to be saved. And Paul was pushing back on that, pushing back hard. So what Paul was doing in this summary, first we see this. Paul's confronting the Judaizers' motives. He's like, let me, let me tell you what these guys are really about. It says the reason they're forcing you to be circumcised, like they're, they're not physically imposing this, but they're pressuring. Have you ever been strongly pressured to do something you know you shouldn't do, right? Or maybe you don't know if you should or shouldn't, but someone's just, you know, pressuring you, forcing you to do something against your will. That, that's what the Galatians as a community were experiencing. They were being pressured by the Judaizers to be law. Um, abiding Jewish, quasi-Jewish followers, especially the men with circumcision. And Paul says, here's their motive, for good showing. They, they, they want to brag on you. They want the bragging rights to say, we converted a bunch of Gentiles to Judaism. That's what's in their heart. And, and, and we're keeping a tally of how many guys get circumcised, how many people are obeying the law, and how many people are becoming Jewish converts before they actually become followers of Christ. So they just want bragging rights. That's the motive in their heart. He says they want to boast in your 
flesh. They want to flaunt. They want to impress others. So their motives were not sincere. They were about self-promotion. They're like, man, I want my highlight reel on my social media to show everybody how awesome I am that look how many people were converting to Judaism and into law and to religious law-keeping to be made right with God. They just wanted bragging rights about that. The problem here is that to glory in the flesh, to glory or brag in the self, is to deny the cross. To brag or glorify in yourself is to deny the gospel of Christ. It's not biblical. The Lord has much to say about that. In 2 Corinthians 10, 17, again through Paul, God says, let the one who boasts, what's the next few words say? Boast in the Lord. You're not boasting in self. You've got to boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. We have no bragging rights, spiritually speaking. We bring nothing to the table to be made right with God. All we bring is a hot mess. At the moment that we come to faith in Christ, all we have to offer is our hot, messy self. Here's my broken, sinful, I thought I could do it on my own self. God, I can't do it anymore. I surrender, take it, make it better. And he does. And so we have no ability to boast in ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it's by grace. I love the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not through works, not through law, not through going to church. It's through faith, right? And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can what? Boast. Like, the Lord is just, like, taking the rug out from underneath us and goes, Shh, you can't brag on anything that you bring to your own salvation, to your own walk with God. It's all the Lord. And the Lord gives you the breath you breathe. The Lord gives you the ability to have faith. Well, I chose Christ. Well, God gave you the ability to choose. And then, of course, to get into the whole election, predestination conversation, all that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, it's all God's doing. That you and I even know him. That you and I can even experience his love. We've got no reason to boast or brag. And so he says, man, their, their motive, whew, their motive's not good. They just want to brag on you. And second, they don't want to be persecuted. Notice that? It says that they're dodging persecution. Um, there was another large group of legalistic Judaizers waiting in the wing that were ready to persecute anybody who was preaching Christ and faith alone in Christ alone because it was not their gospel. Their gospel was works. And so the Judaizers were trying to, you know, so uh, pressuring the Galatians to convert one, because they wanted to brag about it. Two, they just didn't want to get persecuted by those preaching their false gospel. And so, like I said last week, like if you preach works, no one's going to have beef with you. Man, if, if, if I'm just a good person, if you're sitting down with a friend, hey, how do you think you made right with God? Well, just be a good person. People are like, yeah, yeah, that's right. But if you say the only way you're going to be made right with God, the only way you're going to receive salvation is you have to have faith alone and Christ alone, well, that's very narrow-minded. Well, that's not very inclusive. Hey, I'm not telling you. I'm just, I'm just telling you what God said. I'm not telling you my opinion. And all of a sudden, awkward moment in the least to when you look at the world and our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, full-blown persecution, which is so foreign to us, right? We just don't even have a clue. 
Like someone gives us a dirty look or like, you know, blocks us on social media like we're being persecuted. <laughs> no. How about when your house gets burned down? How about when everyone stops doing business with you because you're a believer? That type of stuff. Now, now we're talking persecution. And so he's saying they don't want persecution. So part of their bragging rights on you is so all the people that would persecute them will not. They're dodging that hot water. Not only does Paul confront the motives as he's summarizing, he also condemns the Judaizers' hypocrisy. You go back, it says here, it says, they do not themselves keep the law. The Judaizers were demanding circumcision for the males. They were demanding extreme law-keeping. Problem was, they didn't mind if they didn't fully do that themselves. They might have been circumcised because that was the Jewish law, but there was probably other areas that they were not keeping the law. And so they were not willing to fully live to the same devotion that they were imposing on others. And because their motives were about self-promotion and imposing spiritual legalism, their mission was more about do what we say, not what we do. And so even if they were circumcised, they were not keeping the entire law themselves because what the law of God has shown us is that we're not capable. We always talk about, you know, the Ten Commandments. That's, that's part of the law, but it's an easy part of the law to grab a hold of. Like, it's impossible. It's literally impossible for us to keep the Ten Commandments. That's the point of the Ten Commandments. God's moral law, on one hand, like, do your best. At the same time, you're, you're, you're going to fail. Do not covet, right? We always talk about this. Like, game over, <laughs> Every day we see something that we wish we had that someone else owns, right? Every day you look at someone else's life going, I wish, I wish that was my life. Like, like, boom, okay, one down. How about this one? Sabbath, a day of rest. Oh, now we're in trouble, right? Like, do you have a day where you just rest? Do you, do you have a day that, that basically you live in by faith to say, I believe that God could do in six days what I think I need seven for? So I'm going to dedicate a day of my week to just enjoy God and be more in a rest state and see what the day brings. Like, do we do that? Some of us like, uh, not making eye contact, looking at the floor. Okay, now we're down two. Like the point of the Ten Commandments is God saying, do your best, but you're not going to hit it. And that's when we go, we are so grateful for grace, are we not? We need God in his grace. And so these... These Judaizers, they're just hypocritical. They can't keep the law themselves, but boy, they sure want the Galatians to keep it. Also, in the summary, Paul emphasizes the cross. He emphasizes the cross of Christ. He's basically saying, I can't boast in my flesh. I can't boast in my spiritual trophies of how many spiritual things I've done. I can only boast in the cross of Christ. It's not about what I do, it's about what Christ did. This is what Paul's trying to get through the Galatians' head and heart. See, the Judaizers wanted to impress people. Paul wanted to impress Jesus. Judaizers wanted to lift up human works. Paul wanted to lift up the works of Christ. And so it says we have to glory or boast in the cross. You have to remember that there is still a significant learning curve when he is saying this to the early Christians. Like, you need to boast in the cross. You need to glory in Christ. Like, I guarantee you, 
In the early church, they weren't wearing crosses around their necks. They weren't tattooing crosses on their body. Because at that point in time, the cross was an instrument of torture, highly used by the Romans for criminals and thieves. It was an embarrassing symbol. You would never brag about anything done on the cross. It would be a shame to you if a loved one, a family member, a friend died on the cross. You wouldn't brag about that. You'd be embarrassed about that. And so this is like a real-time learning curve for the early church to recognize that God in his grace was taking this instrument of torture and he was transforming it into a beautiful symbol of love and grace and power. It was still fresh at that time. And so when Paul says, I'm going to glory in the cross, they're like, what? I'm going to boast in the cross. Like, why would you do that? until they can apply the theology of what God did through his son on the cross, making the cross the symbol of grace and love and mercy and power. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It takes time. It takes understanding to see the imagery of the cross go from brutal and embarrassing to beautiful and victorious and powerful. And so he was elevating the cross. Well-known preacher and theologian Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, what did he mean, however, by the cross? Of course, he cared nothing for the particular pieces of wood to which those blessed hands and feet were nailed, for that was mere materialism and has perished out of mind, he means the glorious doctrine of justification, free justification, through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is the cross that is God's provision of grace. Whenever we see the cross, we, we stare at it, and we have a lot of feelings. Some of those feelings are complete unworthiness that Christ would die for us at all. When we see the cross, we, we see God's grace, his riches, his heaven, his eternity, his forgiveness, his relationship offered to us through the power of this symbol. It's the cross. And Paul said, I'm, I'm going to boast in what was done here. I'm not going to boast in my own life. I, I'm not going to take all my spiritual works all my good works, all my good religion. Like, this is what Paul's saying. The Judaizers want you to be happy about this when you've got this. And if you think about it, all of our good works, this toilet is such a great symbol, right? <laughs> Next to the cross? Are you serious? Like, we're going to brag on this? In the shadow of this? How foolish. How empty, how sad. And so we have to make sure that we don't get that confused. Paul said, I'm going to glorify the cross. I'm going to be bold in the cross. Paul is leaving the Galatians with a strong, vivid word picture. He wants to be just branded into their head and their heart about the cross of Christ. Because 
And here's why. When we boast in what was done on the cross, here's why it's a hard um, exercise for us. It's because our pride doesn't like it. If you need the cross, then you're needy. If Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself, then you have an area of weakness. Who wakes up every morning going, I want to brag on where I'm weak and where I'm needy? That, our pride doesn't like that. But that's what's so needed. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirty, 30, it says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. There is tremendous strength in the person who says, I am absolutely nothing without Christ. And I can do nothing without Christ. The person who comes to that revelation is strong and humble. And so we, we, like Paul, need to learn to brag on our weakness because it's our weakness that leads us to the cross. If you don't think you're weak, guess what you put your hope in? That's what Paul is, is summarizing as he's bringing this to an end. Jeremiah 9, 22-24, says, the Lord says this beautiful thing through his prophet Jeremiah. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Anytime you and I have this urge or desire to please God's heart, brag on him. Brag on who he is, not on who we are. And so Paul's pushing this understanding. And it's such a powerful statement. Look what he says. He says that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What is he saying there? He's saying the power of the cross is so strong. This gospel of grace is so strong and transformational that I no longer have a need for earthly and fleshly desires. Like it doesn't have a grip on me. The world no longer has a grip on me, and I no longer have a grip on the world. The cross has loosened the world's grip on me. The world's been crucified to me. It's dead. Their grip is dead on my life. And I crucified to it. My grip on the world and the pursuits of the world, the riches of the world, has been loosened. It's died because of what I found in Christ. See, see, that's why so many people are struggling is because the world has not been crucified to them. They're still holding on. They're still holding on to what the world has to offer. I want Jesus and the world. You can't have both. You can't put a foot in each boat and think you're going to get across the ocean. You've got to pick a boat. And some people say, I want to live in the world, and I want to live for Christ, and let's just see if I can do this thing. You can't do it. It's an impossibility. People keep trying. And so what a beautiful thing that, like Paul, when we come to faith in Christ, when we start to grow in Christ, the world's grip on us is loosened. And our grip on the world should also loosen. What are you holding on to that's of the world? that's preventing you from experiencing the joy, the peace, 
and the power that you have in Christ. You've got to let go. This is what Paul's telling them. And God's reaching through those pages. It was, it was to them, but still for us today. Paul also highlighted the new life and new community that the gospel brings in verses 15 and 16. He says, it doesn't matter anymore whether who's circumcised or who's not. Like, that's, that's not the conversation we're having anymore. It's about the new life, the new community of followers. What he's trying to get across here is that if a person was circumcised, but they weren't part of the new creation, they didn't belong to Jesus. But if they weren't circumcised, because most of them were pagans and Gentiles, you know, that came out of those pagan backgrounds that came to Christ, if you weren't circumcised, but you were part of the new creation, then you belonged to Jesus. That's the conversation he's elevating. And so now we're not just new individually in Christ, but we're also part of a new community of people. God's one new man is a language he uses in Ephesians 2. And so this Israel of God that's mentioned here is a description of the whole group of true believers, all considered the sons of Abraham, all considered followers. It says you, you are made new individually, and you are brought into a new community, a new family when you come to Christ. And Paul, as he's signing off, as he's, as he's summarizing, he goes, look, I even bear the marks myself. He says, look, you, you, you want to talk about the, what you're going to do in the flesh that proves you're a follower? Look at my body. We think about the sufferings of Paul, all the scars that he had from his persecutions. He says, my, my flesh tells you who I'm about and who I follow. You know, probably the people of the original audience at the time would think of a practice where a lot of times uh, servants and slaves, uh, whether voluntarily or imposed on them, would be branded or marked or tattooed with some sort of emblem, symbol, or name of their owner to represent who they belong to. So when Paul says, I bear the marks of the cross of Christ, you know what he's saying? The marks on my body lets you know who I belong to gladly. And that also pushes against our Western American version of Christianity because we want to adopt like the flawless skin theology. No suffering. I want Jesus, but I don't, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want suffering. I don't want to be hurt. Jesus is going to come into my life to make me healthy and wealthy and happy. And I'm going, that is a false gospel. Amen? That's not the Bible. I don't know what book you're reading. A couple authors just popped into my mind, but I'm going to behave myself. <laughs> it's not the Lord. How's your body, metaphorically, maybe literally, bear the marks to say that you belong to Jesus? What scars are on your heart? What scars are in your life that demonstrates that no matter hell or high water, you're going to follow Jesus to your last breath? No one's going to take that from you ever. No one's going to talk you out of Christ. No one's going to seduce you out of Christ. You're in it to win it to the end. That's the spirit of what Paul is writing himself. And so he gives a signature, he gives a summary, and then he signs off. And look what he says when he signs off. Galatians 6.18, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul ends the letter the way he begins it. 
It's not going to be on the screen, but if you were to go back to Galatians 1.3, this is what you find. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Starts with grace, ends with grace. And just like us, when writing a letter, writing a note, the end has great weight. Like however we sign off is so important to us, right? Like when you sign a letter or a note you know, sincerely or with warm regards or with all my love, whatever that, la- we all feel the weight of like that last sentence has to, has to be special. And that's what Paul does. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end this thing the way I started, grace to you. Grace to your spirit. Not works, but grace to your spirit. You know, usually the last impression of a person or a situation is the lasting impression. The last impression is usually a lasting impression. What's the lasting impression Paul wants? Grace. I wrote to you this letter. It's been read. It's got some tough stuff in it. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, grace to you. He never wants them to go back to spiritual trophy earning. But to all come back to this understanding. That's how he wraps up this letter. And it's an appropriate end for you and I as well. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Are you walking in God's grace? Or are you just trying to be spiritual? Are you walking holding on to God's grace each day of your life, or are you still trying to earn your spiritual trophies and awards and ribbons and certificates somehow through being spiritual or just being a good person or having a lot of religious activity? See, grace is not about our trophies. Grace is about God's triumph on the cross. And it's not for just the moment of conversion. It's for every day of our life. So when you look at these two images, which one best describes your walk with the Lord right now? A toilet trophy? Hoping that your good works are enough? Your religious behavior enough? Or the cross? A reminder that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And if you're here today or even watching or listening online, you're like, I I think I'm tracking, but I'm not quite sure what to do with what I just heard because you have not put your faith in Christ. I just just want to give you like, if I were to break down all the rich and complex theologies into the ABCs of faith, it's simply this. You just have to A, admit you're a sinner, that you're a rebel at heart that runs from God. You need to turn and be, believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus was God in the flesh who died on the cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven and made right with God. And then see, you commit your life to following Christ. It's not a decision. You don't just go, oh, I did that thing, check the box, moving on. You become a follower of Jesus. He becomes the leader of your life. If you've never done that today, you literally can just tell the Lord, well, I just, ABC, admit you're a sinner, Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Commit your life to following him. Just tell the Lord that. And if you do, our desire and joy would be to come alongside you and help you take your next steps of growing in this relationship with God. You can do that personally. Myself and a couple others will be hanging out here after the service. You can just come up to us and say, hey, I want to follow Christ. 
Um, there's a card in front of you. You can take that, put down some contact information, uh, write down that you're receiving Christ, put those in those black boxes on the way out. We'll get in touch with you in the next couple days to say, hey, how can we help? But let us know if you're giving your life to the Lord today. For all of us, here's a reflection question I want to leave with you today. What spiritual trophies are you still holding on to rather than fully relying on God's grace in your life? It's just time. Make sure you're all about this, not that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I figured one of the best ways we could transition out of our time and out of the wrapping of this book is to the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. What I love about this letter we just uh, went through is that this was a communication from God through Paul to a spiritual family, that it would do something to them together as a unit. And the Lord's Supper is a family meal where we get to remember what Christ did on the cross for our sins. If you are not a follower of Christ today, I just want to say, look, no pressure. You don't have to take these elements or pretend. We respect your authenticity. We hope at some point you'll become a follower of Christ and share in this family meal. But for today, no pressure. Please do not participate. You don't need to worry about that. But for the rest of us, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're trusting in Him and His grace to be made right with God, this is a time where we get to celebrate and commemorate what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And so let's stand at this time, and the team's going to lead us in uh, some worship. During that time, go to the tables and uh, grab a wafer, grab a, a, a cup of juice, and hold on to it. And I'll come back up in a minute. We'll take it together. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Would you just take a second and just, just thank the Lord, just in your own prayer your own time, would you say thank you to the Lord for his death for your sin? Just have a moment of confession and you go back to trying to have spiritual trophies, spiritual works. When you draw back to that, would you say you're sorry and confess that to him? Take a few seconds and just ask him to help remind you of his grace, to walk in his grace, walk in his spirit. Ask him to help you with that every day. We lift these things up in the mighty name of Jesus. We all said amen. A couple things for you before you head out. Thanks for being here today. So grateful you're here. I hope that God encouraged you told you what you needed to hear, has given you some idea of how to walk it out in the hours and days and weeks ahead. Uh, next week, we have a uh, special message 
related to the theology of gratitude. We have a special speaker, mystery speaker. So you get to come and hear from that person next week. Uh, after that, we're going to enter into a Christmas series called The Advent Conspiracy, where we're going to talk about making sure we hold on to the most meaningful aspect of Christmas. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at what it means to exchange our wants for others' needs and how to really enter into a Christmas season uh, with the right heart and the meaningful approach. So that's where we're going to be uh, moving ahead in the weeks. God bless you guys. Brag on God and His grace somehow this week. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.